Let's pray before we begin the message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word and the grace you have given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the word that you have given us, which is true throughout all time. Pray that this message is acceptable in your sight that it brings us to ever greater faith in Jesus and thus ever glory to you. Amen. Good morning. So today we are going to be completing our series, Living Stones. I'm always kind of sad when we complete a series because I tend to fall in love with the series. And this one, in many regards, has been pretty simple in the main message. And the main message is, you know, that we are to have a living faith in Christ Jesus, one that bears fruit. But wow, we've covered a lot of ground in that simple message. Listen to some of the things that we've covered in this series. You've been born to a living hope, and thus you can rejoice no matter the circumstances. You are called to be holy And everything that you are to do is to be holy because you've been bought with a precious price. You are beloved and you are to crave the things that are from above and to be living stones of a spiritual house. You're to be a humble of mind and spirit and be ready for persecution for righteousness sake. And then you are to live in the will of God and be stewards in all that he has given you. That's what we've been covering these past few weeks. So there's a depth, there's a richness to what it means to have a living faith in Christ Jesus, one that bears fruit. And I know a number of you have talked to me and said that you have been encouraged and inspired, that your faith has been stirred up by this particular series, that people are hearing more clearly the call of God in Christ Jesus and to live out your faith in that calling. And really, that's what the message is today. The message is this. You have been called by God. Therefore, confirm your calling and stir up each other's faith. Again, a pretty straightforward message, but one that has plenty of depth to it. So let's begin with, you have been called by God. We're going to go with our text from 2 Peter starting with verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, it's interesting to see that Peter begins his letter, addresses his letter by saying, Simeon Peter, not just Peter, but Simeon Peter. And by the way, Simeon is a literal uh, translation of uh, the Hebrew for Simon. So Simeon, Simon, potato, potato, same thing. But why use both? Why say Simeon or Simon Peter? Well, Simeon or Simon is his name before he was with the Lord. 
It talks about his self before he came to faith in Christ Jesus. And Peter then is his name that the Lord gave him. So you could say he even begins the letter with humility. Humility. Peter is both humble in his, uh, Peter is humble in both his humanity and his calling. I mean, you take a look at what he says here. He says, first of all, that he is a sinner who is saved by grace. But even in his calling, it says a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So a servant, or the Greek word could even be translated as slave. So even though he is saved, even though he has salvation in Christ Jesus, he says, you know what? I went from being a slave to sin, now I'm a slave to Christ Jesus. And I am to be called and thus sent by him to others. And that's what apostle means, by the way. Apostle means sent, one who is sent. So I'm a sinner who's been saved by grace. And now I am called and sent by Christ Jesus to others. This is the humanity, the humility that he begins his letter I mean, think about Peter, right? Think about Peter and his journey with Christ Jesus. Man, he stumbled hard, didn't he? He told Jesus, if everybody denies you, I won't deny you. I will stick with you and die rather than abandon you. And then a little later on, he denies Jesus three times. And then, thankfully, he is redeemed and forgiven by Christ Jesus. And then he says, go feed the sheep, right? Tend the sheep. But even later on then, in Acts, Paul chastises him. He chastises him because he was being favorite with the Jews versus the Gentiles. So even though he is an apostle, one who was sent, he still is chastised. So he's been knocked down the rung a few times. So he says, this is Simon Peter who's addressing you. And if people don't understand that, it says, to those who obtain a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, our Savior, and Jesus Christ. So he says, look, even though I'm an apostle, Right? Even though I could have the title and the authority and everything else, you have equal standing before Christ Jesus. My apostleship, my time with Christ Jesus does not make me any more saved than anyone else. We all have equal standing before Christ Jesus. Paul wrote this in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. By the grace of God, through faith in Christ Jesus, we are all of equal standing before God. It is our faith in the one who is righteous, Jesus Christ, that gives us that standing. Not anything we've done, not our title, not our position, not anything else. And this is really important because humans, by their very nature, want to elevate other people. 
And so we see that priests, pastors, ministers, so forth, often get raised up and they get all this adulation, all this praise, And people sometimes give so much praise or they bow down or in some denominations, they kiss the rings, all of that. And people supplant the faith in Christ with the faith in that person. And when that person falls, and they do, then people lose their faith. Peter's saying, I'm a guy. Yes, I'm called by God. Yes, I have been elected, but I am no more than you. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. See, what Peter knows is that our salvation, everything is all from God alone not from man or title or position. Verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. That is a mouthful, isn't it? It's pretty dense. So let's simplify this a little bit. What he is saying is simply an expansion of that you have salvation from God alone. That's really what he is expanding upon here. He says, first of all, it's from God's divine power, not anybody else's power, but God's divine power. You have come to a saving faith, a knowledge of him who called you not for your glory, but to his glory, right? And when you are called by faith in Christ Jesus, you understand then more the glory of God. To know Christ is to know the glory of God. And then you are given these precious promises. What are the promises that we've been given? The promises we have been given are that we're forgiven, that we are redeemed, that we are restored to that right relationship, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. And that you have an eternal, unfading, imperishable promise of being with him, being with Christ Jesus throughout eternity. That's that precious promise to which you are called. By the way, all of this, if you've been following with the series, all of this should sound pretty familiar because we have covered all of these things within the series. So you've been called by God to a faith in Christ Jesus, not just like, oh yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, I go to church. No, but it's a living faith. See, if you, I know it's a mouthful in verse three and four there, but if you study that and 
soak in that, you will come to a greater faith that's not a home ho-hum faith. And now, you can see I'm getting a little excited. Okay. Now that you've come to that faith, right? There's things to do in how you live out that faith. Confirm your calling. Okay, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So, Peter says, therefore, right? The therefore includes everything that we just covered. Because of all of that, you are to live out your faith in a certain manner, to build up your faith. And he gives a series of things that are all connected. You know, what is it? The, the foot bone's connected to the leg bone, the leg bone's connected to the knee bone, knee bone, right? Everybody wants to sing that song now, don't you? Okay. But you understand it's a building up of the faith. And that's what he's talking about. And if you don't have the foot, it's hard to stand, right? Or the leg or the backbone or the shoulder bones, all of those things. But Peter, and this is what we must remember, Peter first begins with this. He first begins with faith. He says, supplement your faith. Faith is first and foremost because it alone produces good works. If you try to do this whole list without faith, it means nothing. That's what it says in Hebrews. Without faith, all works are empty. So we have the foundation of Christ Jesus, and then our faith rests upon that foundation of Christ Jesus. And everything you are to do is to build up that faith so you can stand strong. So Peter really is answering this question. What helps you build or strengthen your faith? Now, this isn't as complicated as some people might think. Let's take exercising for an example, right? Or you want to build up your health. Everybody knows that to build up your health, you got to do basically two things. One is to eat properly, and the other is to get that exercise. And a lot of things are taken care of because of proper diet and exercise, right? Does anybody not know this? Everybody knows this. And so what doctors and everybody else do is say, you've got to learn to change your habits. And when you change your habits, that affects your health. And your health then affects your emotions, your mental state, and everything else. Peter is doing, in essence, the same thing. He's saying, look, you want to build your faith? Here are some things that you need to do in building and strengthening your faith. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So we're going to go on to the first four of them a little bit more in depth, but we're going to spend most of the time on virtue. So virtue. Virtue is actually moral excellence. 
That would be a definition of virtue, moral excellence. And by the way, it's interesting. It's the same word that we used earlier in our reading today when God called us to his own glory and excellence. Same word as virtue. So you could say, God called us to his own glory and his virtue, moral excellence. So if you really want to find moral excellence, you find that in God alone. Okay, so where do you find his moral excellence in God alone? Well, it's in scripture, right? His moral excellence is found throughout all of scripture. So just reading scripture, you will find his excellence, his virtue. Now, for some people, this is inundating. You know, it's like too much. Like, you mean I got to study the whole thing to find out his moral excellence or his virtue? Well, for those who like it easy, there's a list that God gave. And it's in Exodus. And it's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, if you just want ten things, actually, I saw a cartoon and Moses had given the Ten Commandments, and people are like, cool, ten, I can keep that. Um, of course, we can't, which is why Jesus came. But if you want to find out God's moral excellence, study the Ten Commandments. You know, when I first came here and we did our education hour, we went through uh, the small, Luther's small catechism, and we start first with the Ten Commandments. We spent an hour on each commandment. And even then, we didn't mind all the depth that we could have. So there's a lot to each one of these. And then, by the way, the Sermon on the Mount, um, if you want to see the full depth of God's perfect moral nature, then study the Sermon on the Mount. And it is amazing. So you need not look hard, but Paul, uh, uh, sorry, Peter is saying here, that you need to really work on them. It's the difference of knowing that you should exercise and actually exercising. I know some of you are like, but that's the difference. It's the practical application of this. Now, I want to digress just a little bit here, and I want to talk about values, virtues versus virtue, because in our culture, we confuse the two and it doesn't help whatsoever. So what are values? Values are subjective. What I think is important. And our culture is awash in values. You might hear American values. You hear that on the political stage. Or Republican values or Democratic values. You also hear family values or Christian values. And we are awash in this language. And values, while they are important, are based on our personal feelings about what's important to us, what I like or dislike in some regard. Therefore, when my opinions, my feelings change, my values change. So values are subjective and they become very malleable. Does that make sense? Virtues, however, are not personal. They are transcendent, outside of us. True virtues 
transcend time and culture no matter what. So pursuing a virtue which is unchanging shapes you versus you shaping it. Now let's go to virtue, God's moral excellence. God's moral excellence is unchanging. And when we pursue his virtue, we don't shape God. God shapes us. In the same manner, Jesus Christ is the full embodiment of God's perfect moral nature, his virtue. He is virtuous. He is the source of virtue. And so thus, when we pursue Christ and his virtue, we get shaped into the image of Christ Jesus. That's virtue. So we start with that. And then we progress to knowledge. So knowledge. It is impossible to incorporate virtue of God without the knowledge of God. I would encourage you to go back to our reading from Psalms today. Psalm 119. It says, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Verse 20, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. So this is why we study Scripture, and we let Scripture interpret Scripture, and we use a lot of Scripture because then we are filled with the knowledge of God versus our own particular knowledge. And greater knowledge of your faith gives you greater security in your faith. This is why there must always be both preaching and teaching together that lifts you up, has you stand firm in your faith, and then you can also withstand persecution, withstand uh, and to know who are the false prophets out there. Okay, so there's knowledge, and now we go to self-control. When you are strengthened by the knowledge of Jesus, when it starts to fill you up, it changes your desire, and you actually have more self-control. See, it's the difference between my own willpower and the will of God. And that's when we're filled up more with his will and let his will be our will. We follow him in his way and in his holiness. Be holy for he who has called you is holy. That's the call, self-control. So there, I mean, we teach this for kids, right? Impulse control. And we try to teach them that with spending habits too. To delay that gratification of whatever you want to buy at that moment. There's the self-control, and thus we have self-control as Christians too. And it leads us to greater steadfastness. Steadfastness. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to use this example. So, you ever hear, hear of a, a sugar high and then a sugar crash? You know, like you're going strong and all of a sudden you just crash? 
When I was a classroom trainer at Best Buy, I did a lot of different classes. This was a management class, and uh, it was, I think it started at either 8 or 8.30 in the morning. Well, before class started, somebody bought, brought in huge boxes of Krispy Kreme donuts. Do you know, I mean, they were all the rage that in, the, in that time, um, and, and good, right? So do you think there was any self-control? No, no. So everybody before class, they're eating all these donuts. I've never had this happen before, but I was leading the class, and normally my classes have a lot of participation and engagement, but about 9, 9.30, everybody just went quiet, like dead quiet. And I realized, you all crashed. They had a sugar high, and then they fell off. There was no self-control, and because there was no self-control, there was no steadfastness, no through line to be able to continue on. First time I've ever had that happen. In the same way with Christians, if you lack that self-control, like you go to church, you're pretty good throughout most of the week, and then you just binge on Friday and Saturday, wake up with that hangover on Sunday and all of that. Or we, last week we talked about pornography too, like a little bit won't hurt, right? But what those things do is they eat away and they have you crash in your faith. And so, so there is literally no endurance. There's no perseverance in that. So self-control does lead to steadfastness. And now, taking the rest of them here, there's godliness. Greater godliness is reverence towards God and his word. And when you have a greater reverence towards God and his word, it leads to greater brotherly affection and thus love. Do you see all these things really do connect together? That foot bone to the leg bone and so forth. He says, supplement your faith. Don't do these instead of your faith. Take your faith and now exercise your faith. Grow stronger in your faith. And this is what I've seen in many different people at Joy Church, there's a strengthening and aliveness of the faith that just has been exploding here. And that's the joy. But you can also tell when people aren't growing in their faith. I mean, you know this, you can tell people, you see people and you can see that they're alive and other people are like, not. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it by their actions, what they say, what they do. And it's not, it's not some spiritual mystic thing to say somebody's alive in Christ Jesus and you don't seem to be alive in your faith. That sounds kind of harsh, I suppose. It's not meant to be. But even Jesus said regarding false teachers, he said, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, you want to be alive in your faith? Practice these qualities. It's, verse 8 says, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does this mean that your works save you? No, again, go back to what we've covered already in the beginning. 
All of these qualities come from Jesus and his cross. But then Peter also goes on, he says, basically, if you do not possess or pursue any of these qualities, it's as if you have forgotten Jesus and his cross. So he says, look, you, you say you're alive in your faith, but you have none of these qualities. There's no virtue, there's no knowledge, there's no self-control, there's no steadfast. How could you say that you are alive in your faith? You have forgotten Christ Jesus and his cross. You have, as we covered before, cheap grace from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He, he writes, Peter writes in verse 9, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now that I am saved, and I'm saved nothing from what I have done, but everything that God has done. Now that I'm saved, there are things to do. Build up your faith. Pretty simple, right? One manager I had at Best Buy said, look, this isn't rocket surgery. <laughs> he was a good manager. Peter says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, practice is the key word, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, we can understand this. It's putting into practice. A husband and a wife, they're married. On the wedding day, they say, I love you. But then if there is no practicing of that love, no qualities by either the husband or the wife, could you say that that's a live marriage? You wouldn't, would you? Could you say that it's a healthy marriage? You wouldn't, would you? And when you don't practice these qualities, marriages, to use Peter's term, would fall away. But if you practice these qualities, even when there is sin, and there will always be sin while we are in this side of heaven, even when you have sinned against someone else in a marriage or a relationship or at church, if you're still practicing these qualities, forgiveness and reconciliation is at hand. This is what Peter is writing about here. When we practice when we practice these qualities, it strengthens our faith and ultimately our love in Christ Jesus. And when we practice these, these and, and we're standing on the foundation, the cornerstone of Christ Jesus, and our faith is strong, when that trumpet sounds for you, when you are called to be by his heavenly side, there is no doubt, there is no fear. And that trumpet sound calls you into the glorious entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what Peter's writing about. He says, strengthen your faith, be built up. And when you hear that trumpet call, wow, you're going to enter into his glorious kingdom. Wouldn't you want to share that and help each other know that? Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's what he writes here. He says, therefore, and uh, I've, I've got just uh, 12 and 13 on the screen. Therefore, I always intend, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth you have, I think it right. As long as I am in the body to stir you up as a way of reminder. Since I know that putting off the body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to, at any time, recall these things. One of the wonderful things for me in ministry is that I have a pastor who has mentored me and continues to do so. When I say, I don't know, what should I do here? I talk to him. And he's encouraging me. Sometimes he talks me off the cliff. You know, all pastors, we all have that, you know. And he encourages me. And I have other pastor friends who encourage me in my walk of faith as well. And that is so good. They stir up in me my faith. And now, as a privilege that I have, I get to walk alongside each of you in your faith to stir you up in your faith, to encourage you when you need to encouragement, to challenge you when you need to be challenged, to comfort when there is a time of comfort. But it's just not me, right? It shouldn't be just the pastor. It should be the body. We should all be doing that. Stirring up one another, walking alongside one another. I've said this before, but Christianity is not a solo pursuit. It is a body of Christ pursuit. And so you pray for each other. You just talk to each other sometimes. Sometimes you encourage. Sometimes you admonish. Sometimes you exhort. Sometimes you just sit and listen because sometimes people just need a good listening to. So in all of these things, you are stirring up and encouraging one another all to the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the message today. You're called by God, confirm that calling, practice those qualities, and then stir each other up. So for you today, I would encourage you to describe to someone how God has called you through Jesus Christ. This exercise will actually help you uh, solidify your thoughts what one quality that we work, work through will you work on for the next week or the month? And in what ways will you help stir up another's faith? And to that, everybody says, Amen. Amen. All right. 